The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Uh, it says this in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Father, we just pray that you will speak to our hearts as we begin this Advent time that, Lord, your presence will overflow in our hearts, that you will challenge us and encourage us and build up our faith as we come around your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, great to see Ed and Jesslyn back. They've uh, been traveling for the last six or so weeks in the UK and all over Europe. Uh, welcome back, guys. Good to have you. Can you turn that up a bit more, please? Well, Christmas time is probably uh, the time in the year most when we try and focus on happy feelings, where we kind of, no matter what we're going through, try and really kind of think happy thoughts and put a smile on our dial and, and kind of try and channel the Christmas spirit. I mean, think about this song um, that is a well-known song. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? This is what it says. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle, belling. I don't even know what that means. And everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap, happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings. No, it was strange, but anyway... When friends come to call, it's the hap happiest season of all. But my question to you this morning is, what if it's not? What if it's not? What if you're dealing with cancer? What if you have a sick or a dying child? What if your marriage is falling apart? What if your closest friends and family are not around and you're going to be alone this Christmas? What then? What if you lose your job? What if you lose a loved one leading up to Christmas? Or worse, on Christmas Day, it's an anniversary of somebody's death. What does that mean? How do you engage with this happiest season of all? Our Christmas series is entitled Good News of Great Joy. And I don't mean to kill the Christmas spirit. And you're probably sitting there going, oh, that's a great way to start Advent. <laughs> Bring the rain, Hillary. Thanks very much. <laughs> you know, good news, great joy. That's more like it. Let's talk about that. And as you know, this comes from Luke chapter 2, the angel's declaration to the shepherds on that night when they announced the birth of this child and says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And what we want to do this Christmas series, as we've entitled it, Good News, Great Joy, is to explore this idea of how is Jesus good news? 
Exactly how is Jesus good news to us? And we're going to loosely follow the Advent themes. If you come from a traditional church background, you'd be very familiar with this. We were going to have the candles, but we didn't want to start a fire. So we're not doing the Advent candles, but we've got them up there. They're just not lit. Um, but, you know, if you know the Advent, each Sunday has a particular theme and a focus. And this, the first Sunday of Advent is called the Candle of Hope or the prophecy candle. And it's based in Isaiah chapter 7 is the kind of key verse that it anchors out of. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so as we continue in our Christmas series, we're going to look at different themes along the way and ask ourselves this question, how does Jesus bring good news? How is Jesus good news to us like it was to them of people sitting in darkness? That's what I love, the Bible. It doesn't gloss over the hard stuff. It engages with the, the realities of the human experience, the brokenness of our world and our sinful state and the consequences that arise out of that. It deals with those issues squarely and, and full on. And, and that is the good news of Jesus. It, it speaks into the darkness. And unless we sit in the darkness for a while, unless every now and again we, we stop playing happy, clappy Christian and kind of sit in darkness, we will never fully appreciate the light. We will never really appreciate the good news of Jesus if we never consider the bad news that it speaks into. And so we're going to do that. And you know at PCC we, we always do crazy things like talk about hard stuff. But I, I want you to see the good news of Jesus in its fullness and its richness because it is good news. But to get there, we need to ask ourselves, how does the good news of Jesus speak into my darkness, into my brokenness, into my pain, into my grief, into my loss, into my loneliness? Because it's real. It's real. Um, one writer says this, his name's Zach S1, the God who gave us his own son did so in such a way that we would know that he knows what it is like to try to live in this sometimes difficult world. The birth of Jesus doesn't require us to suspend our faith while in the real world. The birth of Jesus is what anchors our faith in the real world. It's what anchors our faith in the real world. And so as we look at our passages, Isaiah 7, so this is going to be more of a thematic message this morning. We're not going to specifically work through a single passage, but the three passages we've engaged with already, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8 and 9, and Matthew chapter 1, all three of these passages have something to say about the hope that Jesus brings, the prophecy and the longing and the expectation that is spoken into darkness. And so the first thing I want you to understand about hope is the need for hope the need for all three of these passages talk about the need for hope in Isaiah 7 the prophecy of this coming baby is given to King Ahaz who was facing invasion uh, this this hostile army that was gathering to invade their country and it, we're told that he was shaking with fear like the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind I love that metaphor or simile He's shaking. He's in terror. He's in abject fear. There's a need for a word of encouragement because he's living in darkness. 
In Isaiah 9, uh, you know, that Isaiah read to us himself, um, it, it says that they were in terror, that they were dismayed, that they were wandering around in darkness, that there's just hopelessness that characterized their existence. There's famine, and it talks about this light coming into the darkness. They're so um, desperate that they're cursing the king, they're cursing God, they're, they're, they're consulting uh, occult practices because they feel like they can't go to God. Like they're in a bad, bad way. And then we come to Matthew chapter 1, and, and Joseph finds that his fiancée is pregnant. I mean, imagine in, in our culture what that would be like, when you know you're not the father. And in their culture, it would have been so much more grievous, so much more shameful. And he finds that out. And, and then God comes and tells him, it's okay, it's, uh, you know, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have this amazing baby, and he's going to be called Jesus the Savior, and, and he's going to be Emmanuel and all this stuff. Now, think about Joseph. He's then having, being told he's got to flee, he's got to kind of go and go to this place called Bethlehem because there's a Roman-occupied power that's in force. They were oppressive, and they were setting the political and cultural uh, kind of cult, uh, the mindset of the day. And so he's having to go to Bethlehem to, because of a census that he's got to go to. And if, if that was me, and, and an angel just told me, you're going to have the, the, the birth of this incredible baby. It's going to be God himself. When I get to Bethlehem, I'm expecting red carpet treatment, right? This is, the, this is God's son. The king is coming. Only he finds there's no welcome. There's no, you know, no open door. In fact, he's, there's no, nowhere to stay. He's got to end up in a stable, uh, alone, away from family and friends, giving birth to a baby. I mean, even now, today, there's so much risk associated with giving birth to a baby. Back then, in a stable, alone, with no family, no support, darkness. And then we're told, as the story continues, that Herod was going to pass a law that would require Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus to flee, to leave their country, to live in Egypt as refugees in fear for their lives. And then we're told, told about the grief and the pain that was going to come where, that would result in, in massive weeping and sorrow for many, many families as Herod executed a whole bunch of babies. Darkness. Everywhere. Bible doesn't pretend doesn't gloss over it says yes the world is dark and maybe you're sitting there and, and you, you know the darkness you you need hope because maybe you're sitting there staring at a long-term sickness or you're, you're carrying physical pain and you've been carrying that for years and years and years or there's pain and brokenness in your relationships or you know the mental darkness of depression or anxiety, or fear. Or you know the emotional pain of rejection, and betrayal, and, and broken relationships. And maybe you know the spiritual darkness of feeling like you fail God and because of your sin or your immorality, and you, you think that there's no future left for you. And maybe you, you're angry at God, and you're disappointed because you feel like He's failed you, or He's let you down, and you feel that darkness has crept in, and your heart's gotten cold and hard. And you're sitting there, and you identify with these people, and you say, yeah, I need hope. I need hope. And so into that darkness, the light shines. Into that place of despair, God's Word speaks. Because the other thing that these passages show us is that there is a basis for hope. And that basis for hope is anchored in the character of God. 
It's not in the circumstances. It's not in the hope of pie in the sky that one day things will be better. The hope is anchored in the one thing that doesn't change, and it is the character of God. And we see in these passages that the writers are bringing that out in lots of different ways to show us at least two truths about God. One is that He's sovereign, that He's in control. And we see in every instance that God goes, I I know what's going on. I know that this king is going to come against you. I know that there is darkness all around. I I know about Naphtali and Galilee because I'm sovereign over the nations. I I am decreeing things. And he can say this much and no more. And he says to uh, Ahaz in chapter 7, this will not happen. They will not come against you. In Isaiah 9, he says, this darkness is not going to be forever. I'm going to change it. And in Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter 1, God is the one that comes and tells Joseph, hey, this baby, that's, that, I did that. I'm sovereign in your life. And, and then angels appear and tell Joseph, look, Herod's going to do this, so you need to get up. God is not taken by surprise with anything that happens in their lives or in yours. He's not. He knows. He understands. He sees. He's aware. He's sovereign over all of history, over your life. The second attribute that comes out of God's character is His faithfulness. His faithfulness. In in Isaiah 7, He gives a promise, a sign to Ahaz. And He says, this baby that's going to be born, that's your assurance, that's your confidence, that's my promise that I will be faithful and I will do what I've said. I will rescue my people. In Isaiah 9, we see uh, the promise again that this darkness won't go on forever. Uh, My light will shine. And just like I was faithful in the days of Midian, I'm going to be faithful again. I'm going to send a rescuer, a deliverer. But this time it's going to be a final and ultimate rescue. And we come to Matthew 1 and we see God declaring that this is the fulfillment of hundreds of years of promises and prophecies. And Joseph can have security and we can have security that the same God who is sovereign, the same God who was faithful to them, the same God who is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God who was faithful to them and fulfilled His word to them will do the same for us. That He will rescue, whether it's now, here, in our present reality or ultimately. He will rescue keep his word he will be true he will be faithful he will rescue he will come through for you that is the basis of our hope that in the midst of chaos and pain and heartache and misery and brokenness and people sinning against us and our own sinfulness that is the rock that we can stand on our God is unchanging he is sovereign and faithful he has been He is and He ever will be. He ever will be. The third thing that these passages tell us about hope is the center of hope. The center of hope. And it's in this baby that's going to be born. This virgin-born baby that the angels declared and testified to. Now, again, if all this talk about virgins giving birth and you know angels appearing is kind of out there for you, like aliens, you know, like people living on Mars and stuff like that, I, I get that. I understand that. Miraculous things, supernatural things are not easy things to get our head around. But I don't have time to kind of go through that with you this morning. But we do have some books. If that interests you, you can grab one of these on your way out. It's The Case for Christ, written by a guy called Lee Strobel, who does a lot of stuff thinking about 
how some of these things can make sense to us. And I want to encourage you, you're not alone in those questions. They're good questions to have, to be skeptical, to kind of go, do I really believe in virgins giving birth? And how does that line up with science? And they're good questions to have. And you're not alone in those questions. And I encourage you to keep exploring because many people have gone on the same journey as you and looked into the truth claims of the Bible and come through to believe that they are true and right and they can build their life on this. So I encourage you, grab a book. If you have questions, we'd love to talk more with you about that. But I want to talk about this baby, this baby that was going to be born. That's the center point of the hope. In, in Isaiah 7, he, the virgin was going to give birth and it was going to be called Emmanuel. In Isaiah 9, his wonderful counselor, mighty God, the Prince of Peace. He's this Davidic ruler, this Messiah that was going to come. And then in Matthew 1, it's the fulfillment. And he was to be named Jesus because he was going to save his people from their sin. And I want to suggest to you that all those titles that Jesus was meant to be given are the answer of why Jesus is good news the answer is right there in his name. So let's look at each of them. Jesus, Savior. The word Jesus, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. And then we're told in, in, in um, Isaiah and in Matthew that he would save his people from their sin. You see, in Jesus, God fulfilled his ultimate rescue plan, not from political rulers, not from oppressors in, in, in the governmental sphere, but in our heart. The ultimate ruler of Satan who ruled through the power of death because of our sin, Jesus deals with that problem. He, experience, he experiences the death that we were supposed to experience. He lived a perfect life and then dies on a cross in your place, in my place, so that that enemy can be once and for all vanquished. That that enemy has no power over us anymore. So the writer of Romans 8, Paul, can say, now there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And he lists a whole bunch of stuff that we've been talking about, the dark stuff. But he says, but they can't separate you because your greatest threat, your greatest enemy, which is the wrath of God, being separated from God, well, that's being dealt with by this baby born to a virgin called Jesus the Savior of the world, who has come to deal with the problem of darkness within our heart by making us right with God through His life and His death and His resurrection. So we no longer need to fear any separation from God. That's the hope we have, that no matter how bad our life is right now, no matter how difficult and dark it might remain for the rest of our days, that we have an eternal security beyond the grave because of what Jesus has done. Which is why Paul again can say, you know, as I consider my present suffering, it doesn't compare to the glory that awaits me because of Jesus saving me from my sin. Emmanuel means God with us. See, our God, the God of the Bible, doesn't remain distant and aloof. He doesn't remain separated from our human ex experience and our existence. He steps into it. He comes to us in the form of this baby. He becomes one of us. He empties himself. He puts aside his divinity, the attributes of his divine nature, and he embraces our human experience fully. He experiences physical pain that you might be going through. He experiences the realities of rejection and betrayal by those closest to him. He experiences the grief and loss of friends dying in front of him. He experiences the hard realities of coming to his own people and being rejected. He experiences firsthand the experience of poverty and going without, having nowhere to call home. 
He experiences the reality of his own family not understanding him and not getting him and thinking he's crazy. He experiences ultimately the rejection of a, of a loving union that he had with his father that goes back eternally. He experiences the spiritual trauma of sin more than you and I will ever experience. Our God is not far. He's imminent. He's close. He's up close and personal in our darkness. And that is great hope. That is great encouragement. That our God knows firsthand, not just from a distance, firsthand the reality of darkness and has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. Because of what Jesus did as the Savior, our God remains forever our Emmanuel. Forever our Emmanuel. Forever our God with us. Forever with us in our struggle, in our pain, in our heartache, in our grief, in our loss, in our darkness. Forever with us. Never to leave us. Never to forsake us. Emmanuel. Jesus. Emmanuel. And lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace of Isaiah 9. He's mighty God, he's wonderful counselor. But in Isaiah 9, we're given this glimpse that this baby is this royal figure, this messianic king, this king that has been anticipated and prophesied for years and years and years that would come to deal with the darkness in our world once and for all. That this darkness will not continue forever. He is going to usher in an eternal kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of infinite joy and infinite goodness. As we read the end of the book, we know that this kingdom comes through Jesus as he comes again as not just a suffering savior this time, but as the conquering king, the prince of peace who is going to come to make everything that's wrong with our world right again. To usher in a new reality, a new experience, a new heaven and a new earth, a kingdom where righteousness will rule and reign forever. That is our hope. That is our assurance. In the midst of our darkness, that one day the same Jesus that was prophesied and fulfilled in his first coming will continue to maintain his faithfulness so that all the promises that he's made about his second coming to usher in this new kingdom will also be fulfilled. That is the hope that we hang on to. That is our assurance and our confidence that the same God who was sovereign and faithful will remain sovereign and remain faithful. And he will be our prince of peace. And so I encourage you this Christmas jump up as you sit in your darkness whatever that might be i want to assure you that you're not alone that you're not alone and it's okay at christmas not to be okay it's okay not to think that it's the most wonderful time of the year it's okay for you to feel that it's really hard to be a part of Christmas cheer. But I want to encourage you that the hope of Jesus speaks into that place of darkness. And Jesus doesn't call you to pretend it's not there or minimize it or devalue it or do any of that. He says, I know. I get it. I've been there. I feel it. 
and I don't like it. It breaks my heart. It grieves me. But that's why I came, to do something about it. Starting with you, starting with me. And so as we continue this series, I I really do pray and hope and trust that the messages that we preach won't be a dampener on your Christmas spirit, but it will squeeze such joy out of you in the midst of pain that you will appreciate the coming of Jesus like you've never experienced before. And that you too, like those shepherds who were working the midnight shift away from family, a friend and friends alone. Just think about that. Like they went, they saw the baby, great, Jesus is born, and then they went back to work. No Christmas pudding, no turkey, no ham. They just went back to work, living under an oppressive government, having a two-bit job that nobody really respected or cared about. But they went back different because Jesus was born. That's our prayer for us as a church, that we would be different. Our circumstances might not be, but that we would be different because Jesus has come. Will you bow your head with me? Will you take a moment just to sit and maybe you're sitting in darkness today and that's okay. Let the good news of Jesus just permeate your innermost being. As he reminds you that he is your savior, that he is imminent as your Emmanuel, and he wants to reassure you as your Prince of Peace that you can say, It is well with my soul. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.